We always thought alien life would come from the stars. But it came from deep beneath the Pacific. What the hell is going on? Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Welcome to episode 13 of First Strike, the Invasion podcast, the podcast that looks at the Invasion crossover from DC Comics' uh, 1988 output. Every tie-in, every issue of that series, everywhere it's uh, it touched our lives. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And uh, today we're looking at Doom Patrol number 17. Number 17 uh, features Aquaman, Aqualad, and the Sea Devils. Which is important because usually in the second part of our show, we're going to look at the comic in the first part. But in the second part of the show, we like to look at the characters themselves yeah. and what our connection to that material might be. Now, there are two Doom Patrol issues that are part of Invasion. This one has Aquaman. The other one does not have Aquaman. Aquaman does not have his own series in 1988. So the second part of the show will be about... Aquaman and family, yeah. not about the Doom Patrol. No. Mm, sorry. We will be doing the Doom Patrol the next time we cross their paths. I hope that's okay. If it's not, well... That's what it is. You know? <laughs> Deal with it. Nothing we can do. Nothing. We're going to talk about Aquaman. There's not going to be any hidden audio. It, no. This is it. This right? is it. Uh, so, let's talk a bit about Doom Patrol. What is it? It's not like the best known superhero concept for some people. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird concept, actually, for my taste. It's a superhero team. They're like misfit superheroes. Misfit superheroes, yeah. They're like the they they, they started about the same time as the X Men, so mm-hmm. you don't know which copied which kind of thing. Okay, uh, especially since they both have a leader that's in a wheelchair. Yeah, chief and and the chief and Professor X. X. Yeah. So, um, and that's always been some kind of you know kind of mystery who's yeah. copying who or one of these well, weird yeah. coincidences. The chief is a doctor and Professor X is a professor, so uh, I'm I'm thinking he's been to university longer. Uh, I think they just have different. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Different study. I don't uh, want to start a war. Uh, so so the Doom Patrol is this team of people who were in very bad accidents uh, and don't have a place in society. They can't, you know, they don't have secret identities, that kind of thing. And they become the Doom Patrol. This was like in the 60s. And surprisingly, they all died. They all died? Except Robot Man, who couldn't die. Cliff couldn't die. Okay, yeah. But at the end of it, like a 1960s series, they died. Wow. They were all, they, they chose to die to save this village. Anyways, so it's very rare in that time that you would kill off superheroes. Okay. All dead. In the 70s, Paul Kupperberg restarted the team with, with Robot Man at center. Don't call him that. He doesn't like it. Cliff Steele with Cliff Steele, <laughs> aka the second Robot Man. Robot Man. At its center. And, uh, then uh, the other characters were all new. Yeah. So there was Celsius, who is, uh, who was apparently the chief's wife. Okay. That we didn't know about. Woman from India who can throw cold from one hand and throw fire from the other. Yeah. There was Tempest, or this character here. I don't remember his name. Yeah. I, I have no idea who. I know Robot Man and Negative Woman, and that's it. That's all I know. Is about. Negative Woman even in this? I think she is. I think I saw Negative Woman in there. Yeah. So Negative Woman replaces Negative Man, yeah. who was dead. It didn't really work out. In the 80s, Paul Kupperberg gave it another go, which would be this series, which is at number 17. Guess what? By, number 18 will be his last issue. Wow. This series did not work out any better than the first one. And even though they tried to put like new kids, like a new mutants kind of thing, new misfits in the team, the series didn't do well after it lost its first artist. And uh, we'll talk about that later in any case, but uh, the art. But by issue 19, they scrapped the whole thing. Gave the book to Grant Morrison. Oh, and then it became... And then it became... The psychedelic kind of weird Yeah, it Doom became the, that surreal... Okay. Borgesian... Yeah, yeah, okay. Dadaist comic. Because I know a little bit more about that Doom Patrol. Honestly, the only real Doom Patrol I've ever saw or ever seen was in uh, Batman Brave and, and the Bold. Mm. And that's where I really got to, you know, enjoy a bit more of the uh, Doom Patrol. But other than that, I mean, Robot Man, that's all I know. Well, and Negative Woman. And he's the better character. And I mean, I can't. the better character. I kind of understand why Beast Boy left. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he went to the Titans. Yeah, I kind of get it. So it's... we'll talk about the full history of the Doom Patrol when we do the episode about number eighteen. Perfect. But let it be known at this point, we're in the dying embers of this version of the Doom Patrol. 
Kind of smells that way. It's not going well. The book is not going well. It do- it doesn't read well. This is not one of the uh, what invasion of invasions is um, successes. No, this this is not this is not <laughs> this is kind, it's kind of weird because we did Animal Man last time, and this is kind of the opposite of what I felt <laughs> during Animal Man. But we'll talk about it later. Yeah. So. Without further ado, let's get into the um, the cover and the synopsis. Yeah. The story is called From Gildish Band with Doom. So we're finally seeing those aliens. Mm-hmm. By writer Paul Kupperberg, penciler Graham Nolan, inker Timothy Zahn, letterer Bob Pinaja, colorist Michelle Wolfman, and editor Robert Greenberger. Now, the cover is by Graham Nolan. Uh, and, um, the cover's it's pretty okay. good. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. You have the... It feels like, you know, not an invasion, but a... Yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing the or... heroes flying towards us. Yeah. or But not flying, they're swimming. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be an underwater adventure. Well, at this point, we don't really know that. It, it could, well, uh, unless you well, bubbles, yeah. and There's... if you recognize... You know, yeah, Aquaman, Aquaman, you know what? Yeah. We're underwater. Yeah, Aquaman's I'm... sitting on a giant uh, seahorse. Yeah, I'm an idiot. And there's this big... Stingray. I mean, come on. Yeah, and everybody's wearing yeah, and there are orcas in helmets. there. Orcas in there. So yeah. I don't know why. But uh, Robot Man looks great on this. Yeah, he's at the center, although he's not the biggest character there. Tempest is. He still steals the show, though. Uh, and behind him are Aquaman and Aqualad. That's an okay cover. It's an okay cover. Unfortunately, the interiors. It's, it's not that it's okay. Not a, it's not a big art problem. We'll talk about it. But yeah. it's not a big art problem necessarily. It's, I think it's a story problem. It is. But, um, okay, let's do the synopsis. What happens in this issue? Somewhere beneath the Arctic ice cap. That's where we start. Dane Dorrance and the Sea Devils, deep diving adventurers from the Silver Age, are surprised to come across Aquaman and Aqualad leading an Atlantean army. Because they've been isolated, they haven't heard of the invasion or of the Gildish Band's ship hiding in these waters, which Aquaman's army has been tasked to rout. In Kansas City, Missouri... The Doom Patrol is reeling from recent revelations that the Chief is alive and that Celsius was only posing as his wife to take control of his assets and his team. Then Gargax shows up. Yeah. Fat green alien. Fat green. We saw him earlier. In uh, Invasion, yeah. yeah. And he felt humiliated when the Alien Alliance wouldn't take his help, so now he wants to give them a bloody nose. He ropes his old enemies into joining him on a mission to destroy the Gildish Pan base in the Arctic. So it's basically the Gildish Pan... And their various uh, sea creature minions versus the Sea Devils, the Atlanteans, the Doom Patrol, and Gargasaxes, Gargaxes, Gargaxes, plastic minions, whatever he's using. Gargai. The Gargai plastic (laughs) minions. It goes on for a bit, and then the Sea Devils plant mines on the underside of the ship to sink it. Uh, Fighting back, the Gildishman activate their engines to fry Earth's force to a cinder. The heroes retreat, waiting for the mines to blow. But Celsius, feeling ostracized by her own team because of all these revelations, pointlessly tries to ice up the alien engines to to stop them from firing. They do anyway. She's killed. And only then do the mines blow and disable the alien ship. The chief declares a standoff as the underwater heroes set up a perimeter around the ship. The end. For now. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, a lot of personal issues. <laughs> yes, it's an angsty kind of book. It's, it's a very angsty they're, they're kind of book. They're doing X-Men. And, and, and I had like no idea of what was going on because I had no backstory about all of this. Um, at one point, I was wondering, who is this Niles guy? Is it Dr. Niles uh, Colder? Is it is it really the chief? Is it the, or, the real chief? Is, is, what's uh, going on? And but, there, one of the problems you must have had with the book, I mean, I read it at the time. Mm-hmm. I I stopped it just before these issues. <laughs> okay, I, you know I left around um, because early when the, the series started, the art was really pretty. It was by Steve Lytle, okay. who was famous for Legion of Superheroes, and that looked great. And then it switched to Eric Larson, like a, a young Eric Larson pre-Image Comics. Okay, and it still, if this were Eric Larson art, at least we'd have something to talk about. Now it's Graham Nolan is also at the run the start of his career. Uh, and we'll see. He's doing and like our next episode. He's also doing the art for that, okay. and it looks much better. So I think inkers have a lot to do with what the art actually looks like. So the art isn't great. No, it's it's kind of you know it's kind of gray. And by this time, you know people were losing interest in the book, so they put like a, a newbie on there. Some or newbies. Yeah. But what must have really been difficult is that though there's a lot of exposition uh, who are the sea devils and who is what's aquaman doing there blah 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 
there's very little information on the characters that are part of the Doom Patrol itself. So yeah. if you're a new reader, they don't even ha- use their code names. You don't know who Lodestone is in this. I, exactly. They never say Lodestone. They, they never, never say, say Celsius. No. They call her Arani. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they don't call anyone by their code names. Well, I did, I did read that uh, Robot Man doesn't like to be called Robot Man. Sure. But the others, I mean, and if... And, and there's, and if there's... you're picking up new readers because of the invasion, and at this point, if you're having very low numbers, and they were, yeah, because they were about to just say, ah, oh, chuck it, let Morrison do anything with it, and he yeah. did. If that's where you are, and as far as sales go, where even like a like like Celsius dies in this, yeah, so we're even like, oh, chuck it, these characters are not needed anymore; they're all expendable. Which is a bit of a Doom Patrol thing, yeah. You know, but still, if you're just gonna kill the characters before any anything can be really resolved, like she's revealed, it's like there, there's a weird retcon where oh, but she was already a retcon because when she first showed up, she said, "Hey, I'm uh, you didn't know, but the chief married me when I was like 12 and he was 60," which was actually this. That, <laughs> okay. That's actually what it was, something uh, like that. A like, different time, a different time. Well, and here I am, and I'm taking over. And I'm restarting the Doom Patrol. And that was already a retcon, because you never knew that he had been married. He comes back, and she's been on this quest to find him. She was saying all along from the first issue that he wasn't dead, and she was looking for him. Now they find him, and, he's, and he reveals, she was never my wife, she's just a manipulator. What, 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 what was her quest about then? And so all of that is alluded to in this. It's not really resolved. It's not resolved. And then she's killed. They resolved this the same way they resolved George Costanza's wedding in Seinfeld. They just killed off the wife. Boom. She's she's just dead. Done. And now Morrison doesn't have to deal with this. Oh, well, that's a big thank you, but, you know, it's still kind of a weird We can imagine what he might have done with it, but it's just like... It's like Kupperberg's been told your your series is ending, basically, yeah. or maybe he left of his own volition. But he's got like two issues to fix this. Oh, and you gotta have invasion in it. <laughs> <laughs> so now there's no time for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, this this oddly does not feel like uh, the Doom Patrol, although their name is on the cover. It doesn't feel like a Doom Patrol comic book. It feels more like uh, Aquaman. A comic book or and they're the guest stars and because I'm, yeah. I'm not even clear as to why they're involved in this underwater fight they don't have particularly good powers for underwater action no one of them is a robot one of them is a robot right? it would sink to the bottom and then most of the one of the problems with the doom patrol the 70s doom patrol is that all their powers are just like throwing energy around yeah i mean negative so, woman can't do anything we don't even see her in the in the battle no she's not in the battle i, I think she, i guess she stays on the ship. Yeah. Uh, and then Celsius shoots fire from one hand. Tempest shoots energy from his hands. Lodestone shoots magnetic energy. You don't even realize what powers she has in this. Yeah, yeah. It's very weird. As a magnetic hero, she should be screwing with the, sh- the Gildish Band ship. With everything. And it's, you know, the powers aren't really well used. And really, the heroes of the piece are the sea devils. They're the ones that <laughs> yeah. plant the mines. Yeah. While the Doom Patrol has a member who stupidly tries to do her own plan, which is not necessary. And and dies doing it. And it's stupid. And it really is a stupid death. It's not a good death it's at all. It's not a heroic death. It doesn't bring anything. It doesn't it's save like, anything. It's like her arc is over and her storyline is all screwed up. And she's feeling like the other characters don't care about her or, or yeah. don't mistrust her. Which they have a right to, but... They're actually not very mistrustful of her. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like, and they it, care about what happens to her. It, so It kind of feels like this character was put in the middle of a plot, and somebody got just tired of her and wanted to get rid of her, but she's just in too deep, and the only way to get rid of her is to get rid of her, to take care of it. And we don't, we don't need this character. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? They actually burnt it with fire. I mean, this death. I mean, plasma, in, plasma engines or plasma burners or whatever they're called, just firing up and just just frying. And really, if they were this powerful, because that doesn't even make sense to me. The the aliens say fire up the thrusters. Yeah. Because it'll basically burn up the whole army. It's, yeah. It's basically, their weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. So it fires, they're all away from it, it fires up, it kills the one person that's standing right by the uh, engines, and her body is intact. She's not sublimated. No, she's, she's just They dead. have a body to bring back. The we Cliff don't... even has to check if she's still alive. That's how not badly damaged 
her body is. Yeah. And I know she's got fire powers and probably some kind of immunity, but I yeah, mean, probably. if this is your WMD, no. the temperature on that should have, you know, busted the, temp- the, the, termo- the thermometer. Yeah, yeah. It's... And I mean, it's, it's plasma. It's, it's not great. It's supposed to be very It's hot. not great. It's very not great. Uh, well, you know what? And it's, I mean, it's kind of great for the sea devils, except that wretched costume they wear. I don't know if this is the first appearance of that costume, first and last, but the, with a big SD on their chest. But, but it's not, it's not, it's not like a logo. It's like written in cursive. SD. And this, there's this twirl on the D and it's, it is very odd. Like the normal sea devil's outfit is just a diving suit. Yeah. Red. Okay. Devils. I could deal okay. with that. It's just a red well, suit. Now they're wearing like logos on a bl- yellow logos on a black suit. Yeah, and it's it just looks it's horrible. It's a very bad design, and I've never seen it before, never. and I've never seen it since. You know what? It should be feeling like, and, and this is what I think, but it should be feeling like a uniform because they're a team and they have this team uniform thing. Yeah, but the uniform seriously sucks. It's horrible. Yeah, it's it's. You know, it's worse than Syndrome's costume in The Incredibles, where he has this big S that becomes his pants. It's, it's you know, so it's not good. But it's that kind of S. Yeah, it's it's just not good. It, it And it really oddly, and, and, and there's this one lady character, and it really oddly... Judy. Judy, it, 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 the way the S just like curves the side of her boob, it kind of, it's weird. It's just weird. Yeah, it's upsetting. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not cool. And then when the Atlanteans show up, I've also never seen them in this um, leotard, but they're dressed as like, creatures from the Black Lagoon, maybe kind of thing. They like, got it like they're, they kind of look like Lagoon Boy and not. I it's don't know. a green uh, unitard with uh, a yellow fin on the head and and the arms and the arms. It's yeah. supposed to be like I don't know. I've never seen this suit. It also is fairly stupid. It, it's stupid because this, in this context, it kind of feels formal. For some odd reason, this is the first thought that came to me. First thing, why is Aquaman on a giant seahorse? I, I don't mind it. It's just that Aquaman... It feels very uh, filmation, like the cartoon from the 60s. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Aquaman probably swims faster than everything there, including the seahorse. So why it's like asking, it's like having Flash or the Flash on a motorbike. Why'd you do that? You don't need a motorbike. He can run <laughs> faster than any motorbike. And, and so Aquaman on the seahorse feels very formal. Kind of feels like they were in a parade or something. And the the and this is not like typical army wear for the the soldiers. It feels you know one of them has a sword. What the hell does? I mean, why would an Atlantean have a sword underwater? This makes no sense. So it feels kind of formal, kind of parade So there's a parade, and then the invasion <laughs> That's what happens. I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. If, if nobody's going to tell me what's going on, I'm going to create it You're in my You're going to have to have a narrative for yourself. Exactly. And, that's, and parades are where I'm going. The Atlanteans, in, in my opinion, should be, you know, they should be techie. They should be uh, have something more than what the surface people have because they're they're living underwater. On the it makes no sense for them to be primitive. Well, there's two kinds of Atlantis, right? There's that high tech Atlantis, super super highly advanced yeah. science, and then there's like the barbarian ones. Well, the barbarians, the barbarian ones, don't make any sense because they've got a king, and so they've got to be like an oh, underwater that's... Camelot. Well, that's just the that's just the the form of government. I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not. I mean, the king can be a king by right, but you know, you, you can have parliament yeah. at the same time. But see, like the anyway, it's yeah. I'm not. I don't care one way or the other what the Atlanteans are like, unless but... unless it's magic, and then all of a sudden everything's fine. But I mean, I I don't know Atlanteans that are you know carrying swords with spikes on them, really. Yeah. In any case, Aquaman isn't particularly effective in this either. It's all about making the Sea Devils. I think Paul Kupperberg likes the Sea Devils more than anyone else in this, including yeah. the Doom Patrol, uh, who he's killing off. And you're right when you said earlier that the that Aquaman, etc., uh, were the real stars. Well, the, I, the underwater people are the real stars. Yeah. And then the Doom Patrol shows up later. Because yeah. it makes sense for underwater heroes to go after the Gildish Band who are hiding underwater. Yeah. Why does the Doom Patrol go there? Because they start off in Kansas City. They go there because Gargax says, hey, there's a ship there we can attack. Why are we attacking this ship? 
Why does Gargax care about these guys? Well, probably because Gargax just wants a win. The easier win? Well, I mean, you and me with a handful of firecrackers could probably beat the Gildish Pan. I mean... I don't know what the Gildish Pan are even doing there. I don't know what they... They, they, they allude to a plan, but we don't know what it is. They, they seem annoyed with themselves. I mean... <laughs> yeah, they're pissed that they're stuck there and not and, fighting. And I don't understand what they look like. They look like a squished piece of bread. What's the poop shoot and what's the pie hole? I don't know. Yeah, I love the Gildish Pan. Uh, <laughs> I don't get it. Because they're just like a, a sort of worm and they're arthropod a worm. kind of thing. And one of their arms is usually shown to be a uh, like a morning star, like a mace Okay, yeah, that, that's what we got. Uh, and, um, and yeah, they've got those holes at the top, which could be a mouth, and then at the bottom as well. Well, word bubbles are coming out from everywhere. So I'm guessing they're two mouths? Maybe. The only uh, real Gildish Pan that we know as a character, is a Legion of Supervillains member called Zimir. Okay. And Zimir it has, like, teleportation powers. And I think that's their that's main their thing. thing here. They're going to help the invasion teleport off or on Well, they Earth. they they have some. Cause, I think that's uh, going to be something like that. Their minions, their minions seem to be... Because one of the minions, uh, one of, all of a sudden, says, you know, we got to get out of here because the Masters... Just, you know, they're going to start up the engines and they don't want, uh, we don't want to fry here because they'll, you know, they're not going to be pleased with us. And so they seem to have this power over these minions. Who are like fish people of yeah. different types. But I mean, the the fish people of different types are going up against Atlanteans and they're like fighters and everything. So, I mean, the Gildish Pan must be more powerful than they seem. Yeah, but I think they're more like, they're more like the Dominators where they stay, they stand back. They've got this technology, probably this warp technology yeah. that is being used, but they don't, uh, they're not physical. No. They're stuck in bubbles, they yeah. breathe methane, liquid methane. That's what it is, they, they breathe I think farts. That's it. This is what they do. <laughs> yes, they breathe liquid farts. That's what it is, um, if, <laughs> if I remember correctly. That's why you need all these minions, yeah. who are apparently other aliens that we didn't know are part of the invasion. Yeah. Servant species, but uh, they look like... Again, if the art was stronger, or by an artist that was more confident, we might really see these aliens and uh, even like the Atlantean suits as references to something. Yeah. Because they look like they might be, you know, aliens from fiction. Yeah. Or monsters from uh, yeah. movies. That's what it kind of feels like, but it's not really on point. Uh, when you know this, like this creature here is obviously not the same as no, this it, creature here, and some... this one has like a, a mermaid's tail and yeah. kind of looks like the the monster, the fish monster that Aquaman fights in the four issue miniseries from 1986. Um, like on the cover of number three, I see clear in my head. It looks like that. So is yeah. that are, have they roped in underwater monsters that kind of from Earth? Like kind of feels like it. Or I are they know. all from outer space? Who knows. Nothing is know. explained in this book. Everything is alluded to. The only thing we do know is that Robot Man Cliff Steele is punching this guy, the Mermaid Man, in the face. This is what we do know. The there's rest of it, of, yeah. There's a lot of fighting, a lot of punching. I don't think they use the. I don't think they use the Arctic very well. No, not very well. I mean, whatever. It's not like uh, you. There, there's no feeling that we're under the ice or that cold is being used, except when Celsius ices up. Yeah. The the machine. It hardly feels underwater, actually. If you didn't have, like, an orca once in a while in there, it doesn't really feel like underwater. It feels like... Actually, it feels kind of too high speed. There's a lot of speed in there. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of everything. But, I mean, underwater, it's not like space. I mean, you, you, you're you going slower. Everything is harder to do. And, and here, it doesn't feel that way. It, There's it, just too many characters. Yeah. I think the, like the, the layouts look cramped. You kind of lose the Doom Patrol... We have... Uh, the Sea Devils all look alike. Yeah. And then you got Aquaman and Aqualad in there as well. And everybody's got a little bit of dialogue. And, I mean... Yeah, yeah. Some of it's kind of fun once in a while. Sure. You, know, you, you see you see Garth, uh, Aquaman, uh, Aqualad, and uh, what's her name? Lodestone. Lodestone, you know. And oh, yeah, they're flirting. They're kind of flirty. And, you know, they have smiles on. So that's kind of fun. But other than that, I, there's no real... I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Yeah. There's a... We were talking about just before the... We kind of spoil ourselves. 
uh, we were talking before the, the recording, and uh, you were asking about... You were wondering if Celsius had anything to do with Aqualad. Well, Remember actually, that? yeah, because I'm, I'm a big Garth fan. I, I like him since, you know, the early, early Teen Titans. I, I, I've always liked him. And, uh, and eventually, Aqualad becomes Tempest. He has this power where he can control, you know, temperature with his his hands. He shoots fire with one and shoots ice with the other one. And I, I think he kind of controls water Elements, also. Yeah. yeah, it's an elemental thing. Well, he becomes Tempest and uh, gets cranked up into coolness. You know, he falls into that. You know, Robin becomes Nightwing, and you know, Aqualad right. becomes Tempest, and uh, you know, Speedy becomes Arsenal, and you know, all that stuff. So. And I was wondering, because uh, Celsius, that's her power. That's exactly her power, except for the you know control over water. And there's the question of, they both have uniforms that have, are the same colors. Yeah. The red and blue is also what well, makes sense for Celsius, but it's also Aqualad's colors. Yeah. It becomes red and black when he becomes Tempest. Yeah. And then there's, but there's no relationship. There's, there's no there's relationship. Nothing. You're saying... It's a coincidence. It's a coincidence. And it then can be a coincidence. A further coincidence is that the original DC hero called Tempest is a member of the Doom Patrol. <laughs> I can't see it as a coincidence. Somebody said, you know what, let's do Tempest. What? Can I use Tempest? No, he was in Doom Patrol. I, I want to call Aqualad Tempest now. All right, but you know, he was in Doom Patrol. And all of a sudden, said, somebody said, well, you know, in Doom Patrol, somebody had you know, ice and fire <laughs> control. Let's give him that. And that'll be, it has to be something like that. I say it's, oh I my. mean, maybe it's running around somebody's subconscious but i don't think it was it wasn't a conscious choice it's just weird looking at it now knowing the future this is all i was thinking about when i was reading this book i was like all right at the end of uh i was thinking because i haven't read all of invasion so i was thinking all right gene bomb goes off kills a bunch of people changes a bunch of people aqualad becomes tempest this is what i thought and this is not what's happening no i there's no relationship between any of those events well i'm quitting (laughs) <laughs> this, oh. this is a very messy comic book it's very messy we're not gonna wallow in it i mean it's the fire and water network is really about finding our joy this was not joyful <laughs> not, well uh, well you know, i mean no that's not true i like many of these characters yeah yeah uh and i enjoy i i will enjoy the discussions we'll be having and I personally really like the Gildish band. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. You know, like, I think they're yeah. really I don't, I crazy don't... <laughs> looking aliens. <laughs> they are. And they, they, you know what? I'll just take a little second to say what I did like about it. Okay. Okay. So I'll do that. All right. That's. I, I actually really liked seeing Aquaman coming in, taking charge. I mean, for for some odd reason, I, I was thinking, you know, Aquaman's always been like kind of this joke. He comes in riding on the seahorse, but he comes in taking charge. Like he should, because he's a leader. So I love that. I loved seeing older Garth. You know, not the little teen guy. He's not Aqua Lad. He could be Aqua Young Man. You know, he's you know he's coming in. I I really like Robot Man. Always liked him. Mm. Cliff is you know I love the accent. I like reading that accent. He sounds like an old baseball guy from New York. I don't know. And I really enjoyed. Other than the suits, I really did enjoy the Sea Devils. I'd like to see more of those yeah. guys. It reminded me of that bit in Firestorm. Yeah. When we, that's like one of the first episodes, but that bit in Firestorm where we saw the human face of our forces, which was Easy Company, like a modern yeah. version of Easy Company in that one. And we saw quite a lot of them, yeah. considering that Firestorm, Firehog, and Starman were all in it yeah. and taking their time getting to the Pacific. Here it's the same. It's the, that. That hero team, that very human hero team from the Silver Age, they make sporadic appearances. I think they were about to appear in Animal Man back in their red suits soon, within a year. So every time you see them, it's all fun, like just those adventurers, human beings... Yeah, with abilities like the fire, they're they're Fantastic Four. They're challenges of the unknown. They're without the powers, and they're still making good. And in this. They're the real heroes. Yeah, they're making not good. They're making great. I so, mean, they take down the Gildish Pan. So it's about humans. Yeah, yeah. You all want our meta humans, and of course, our meta humans are going to solve the problem. Yeah. But here we are, real humans with gumption, doing it and winning. Exactly. With help, while the heroes are, you yeah. know, with a di- with a distraction. Yeah. That's it. But I mean, yeah, the the real heroes here are just the regular Joes. So that's great. So you know, the comic. Is kind of messy and it's all over the place, but we do, we do have these little gems, and I think they're the sea devils. 
Good job, Dane Dorrance. <laughs> we're going to take a small break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Aquaman and family, Woo-hoo! the Aqua family. Uh, and uh, like I said, we'll uh, cover the Doom Patrol itself when we cover Doom Patrol number 18, which will be, you know, their dying, <laughs> their dying last <laughs> breath before they become surreal. Stick around. Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure, issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol Volume 2. Copperberg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001. Doom Patrol Volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004. Doom Patrol Volume 4. Burn. Shush. 2009. Doom Patrol Volume 5. Giffen Clark. 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016. Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. And we're back. We're talking, as promised, about Aquaman and Aqua Family, what Aquaman means to us. He was in this issue. He was doing fairly well. Uh, but at this point, he didn't have a series, which is kind of weird. Like I said before, I, I, I read a lot of old, old comic books when I was growing up. Kind of stopped and then started back eh, mid-90s, late 90s. And to me, Aquaman was always kind of cool because uh, I was a kid and because I came back for Pirate Aquaman. So Pirate Aquaman was awesome. I loved him. Uh, well, you know, in, in that gritty kind of way. Yeah. It became kind of weird after a while. But I can't understand why Aquaman didn't have, like, a regular series. But he often did. I mean, he did. But there are a lot of breaks compared to someone like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, who yeah. never got a break, uh, got multiple series. It very, it happened very seldom that Aquaman had that kind of, you know, even Green Lantern at one point had, like, four series going for, yeah. the, for characters of the core. But Aquaman was one of those, I won't say a B hero. No, he's but not. But in the Justice League, in the when you look at the Justice League set, him and the Atom, and there's always like, and Hawkman, always struggled more. Yeah. For whatever reason. Well, like, I can understand for like Hawkman. For, for me, Aquaman was one of the members of the Super Friends. Yeah. As I first met him, he had like that cool jet ski. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and whoop, 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 they use the same <laughs> the same sound effect as from the, the filmation one, which I'd be too young to have seen it. Yeah. I've seen it now. On DVD, uh, but um, it didn't run on TV when I was a kid. Or if it did, I sort of thought they were Super Friends Adventures. It's possible that, you know, I don't remember very well. But that same sound, that thing, <laughs> um, which is all very cool. In comics, I saw him in the Justice League. And very early on, it's like he was in my first Justice League comic. And then very early on in my comic buying career, uh, he disbanded the League, which I thought was a badass move. It was. Uh, of course, it led to the Detroit League, which wasn't very good. Was just a bad move then. <laughs> but but the way he disbanded it, I thought Aquaman is the coolest. Yeah. Like, to me, it was like he took charge, and all those other heroes uh, who took the Justice League for granted and didn't always show up because they had their own problems, which might be you know Lois Lane's trying to marry me again. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what was going on in the other books. But Aquaman's a, you know if you can't be here then then I'm going to disband the league, and then you recreated the league as something else. Uh, so Aquaman was always, like, very early on, very much a leader, mm-hmm. someone who has a lot of versatility with his powers. I mean, the problem with Aquaman is that, are you going to do him as a crime fighter in the sea? In which case, you're limited to the sort of the sorts of crimes that might happen there, or it seems limited. I don't think it particularly is. Or you're always saying, well, how much crime is there on the sea? Well, as we know today, I think quite a lot. Quite a lot. So anyways, there's that element. Or you can do the Atlantis sort of fantasy kind of stuff, which doesn't appeal to everyone. No, the swords and sorcerer type thing. Yeah, and they've done that 
a number of times, including the pirate Aquaman. Yeah, yeah. Which had like a big cast, underwater cast. Yeah. And, it, it always feels like you need a little bit of magic inside the Aquaman world. Yeah, well, if you're using Atlantis, Atlantis has a magic tradition. Yeah. Uh, not just because of Arion, but I mean just in, yeah. in lore, in popular lore. So there is that. But I remember that in... Uh, so very, I was reading American comics like from 1981, 82, from that time. I've since read a lot of the um, the original stories from the 60s. Okay. Which I really love. It's like the only Showcase Presents I can finish are Aquaman or ones. Aquaman. The great art, uh, either Nick Cardi or Ramona Fredon or uh, it's like it's a fun strip. Like if you if you're doing that strip and then Topo shows up, the squid, the the, the octopus, <laughs> it always makes me happy. It, yeah. You know, it's that kind of uh, but all the stories kind of feel a bit the same, and it's patrolling the sea for either monsters or criminals. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah, and it works. I mean, it's it's sweet. The in the '80s, Aquaman got a series, um, a four issue miniseries with art by Craig Hamilton, which was really artsy. And it's the one where Aquaman got a blue suit. Oh, I don't like remember. Water. That. Yeah, it's like a camouflage suit. Okay. Look really cool as drawn by that artist and only that artist. So it went south pretty quickly. Yeah, you didn't use it afterwards, but it was more of an exploration of magic, underwater magic, okay, and yeah. like a, a larger. You know, it had like Ocean Master trying to find artifacts, and uh, but it looked beautiful. It did not lead to an Aquaman series right away, or not an Aquaman series that looked like that. I mean, like there was a special where he ditched the suit, and then there was like a. Yeah, an origin story, and then they tried another miniseries, this one with art by Kurt Swan, which was really old-fashioned. And it's not... We were, like, moving ahead, and, like, the, the late 80s were a time where things were happening. Well, Let's do yeah. artistic things, do different things. And Aquaman just wasn't picking up on that. They tried a couple series that just didn't work for me. It was just, like, so old-fashioned or had substandard art or and just you know i love the character and i've tried every one of his series pretty much except like that break where i didn't read any comics in the 2000s yeah i like the water hand stuff i never yeah, water hand aquaman is not as cool as never read that a pirate aquaman okay but well that's what i think but then in in the 90s they pirated aquaman yeah. became a like the we call him pirate aquaman because he had a hook for he had a, a hook for a hand i mean and that was a great series i love that series i did too it kind of defined also um, Black Manta. It kind of it kind of brought Black Manta into real evilness uh, for me because he's he's the one who put Aquaman's hand in the piranhas, right? No, no, Ocean Master, Charybdis. Who the f yeah? Why is Black Manta wasn't? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm going, was my Black Manta really that? Then why that why is it in my head that that's Black Manta? Because Charybdis is. A throwaway character that I don't think we ever saw again. So I just substituted this character I don't know right. for you Black, put Manda Black Manda in my, who was in a, my head. a very cool villain. Because I don't have this on my... I read it back when, mm. but in my head, this is Black Manta. You yeah. can strike all of this if you want. Uh, well... <laughs> you, you don't have to. I can humiliate you publicly. Yeah, well, that's fine. Uh, that's yeah, fine. no. So Black, you know, Black Manta did show up eventually, but um, he was never that... I think what really worked for me with the Aquaman... Uh, that Aquaman series, mm -hmm. first, yeah, very badass. It's, it was like the essence of his badassness. Yeah. And then they made him look the part. Yeah. I think he was always kind of a badass. He always was because he's tough, he's strong, he has this uh, psychic ability. But it's hard to take that seriously when you're dressed in orange with like your your golden locks and yeah. pretty boy looks. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's like he's Justin Timberlake and then... But he needs to be Jason Momoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. He was I mean, like was a, a... he was a Ken doll. He was basically a yeah, Ken doll. Yeah, that's what he kind of looked like. And you know, just give him a beard, and all of a sudden, a hook for a hand. Boom. And you got a badass. And it's got you know that's where it reaches um, Arthurian legend. Yeah. And he's called Arthur, so they played with that. And Peter David also wrote Atlantis Chronicles, which was like all the ancestors of Aquaman. So you sort of saw the like a Game of Thrones. Yeah kind of deal and so when you get to Aquaman he's got all that history uh, in his family and then Atlantis suddenly has a magic tradition and yeah. like a martial tradition that they can use what I really liked about the series besides the badass and Peter David's always been good to with uh, like dialogue cracking dialogue and that kind of thing so I've always liked his writing but I think it was like the extended family like Aquaman alone on the, on the sea 
sometimes accompanied by an octopus or a whiny <laughs> eight-year-old or whatever Aqualad was in the Silver yeah. Age stories. It was really yeah, he was played yeah. young. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, there was this uh, Teen Titan book uh, where they kind of redid the old Titans, and they had Garth in there who looked. Kind of like a cross between uh, Garth and Lagoon Boy. Yeah, it's uh, you're talking about sick. Teen Titans Year One, which was like yeah. it was a short mini series that they collected. Yeah, that was that was kind of fun. Yeah, oh, I love that that book. It was like a humor. Yeah, it was it was great. And and Garth in that one was this whiny, sickly little. Yeah, he was like and, he, he was yeah. pale and green. <laughs> yeah, um, it was one of the better things yeah. about the book. I love that. So in the Silver Age, that's what it's kind of yeah, like. It's not an extended like. family. Yeah. Like we know there's like by the seventies we knew we had a Superman family, we yeah. had a Batman family, and those are still pretty big today. Yeah. They're I think they're they're actually bigger now than they were. Because now but we they want, keep adding characters. Well 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 yeah, but now we want to see them in movies. I mean, uh, this... and I think the the TV shows are really doing that as well. There's yeah. an Arrow family. There's a yeah. you know uh, characters that sort of revolve lo- around the main. We love hero. that. The Aquaman family didn't really exist. I mean, we had Mira, we had Aqualad. You kind of saw them together. They were in the cartoon in the '60s together, but it's a very small family. Yeah. It, the Peter David run gave us uh, gave importance to all these characters, but also added more. You know, other. Uh, undersea heroes like Dolphin was part of the yeah. the team. Uh, Koriak, which was like an illegitimate son of uh, Aquaman's, yeah, he had like his his two boys, you know, arguing and being rivals, and they added a lot of characters, and then it became an ensemble cast. It yeah. wasn't just about Aquaman with a couple of hangers on. They built the family, they built the world, they built the undersea realm. They used a lot of uh, ocean animals and gave them character and. So that was my favorite series for sure. And when Peter David left, I left as well. I think uh, what happened is they really put some importance on the world building. and The, the world building and the, the family building. And that's what we, at the end, we kind of relate to that. I mean, if you're a Star Wars fan, you don't just like one character. You like everything. You like, you like the whole realm. You like, uh, if, you, if you're a, a Star Trek fan. You like everything about it. You don't don't just like, like data. You can't just just <laughs> like data. Okay. You know you can, but oh, I'm sure you can. But I mean, don't forget I'm I'm part of a Doctor Who tradition where people do do like just the one era. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you can't. I I don't think you can do that. I don't. If he had a, an extended cast at this point, we probably wouldn't have had the Sea Devils. Yeah. Or the Sea Devils would have been in Aquaman's book as well, and it would make yeah. sense. But uh, yeah, but the pirate Aquaman did all that. And also has survived because in the um, the Brave and the Bold cartoon, they changed his personality quite mm-hmm. a lot. But he's one of the more popular characters. Oh, well, yeah. Frequent guest and Understandable. A, a very amusing portrayal. Yeah. So even in comedy, like here is, well, not here, but in the Pirate Aquaman we, we talk about, it's supposed to be dark and gritty. Very 90s. Sure. But the cartoon show has used them as a comic relief and it still works. It still works. That look still works for for that. So it, it looks it, it, it looks great, and he kind of feels like this old pirate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> telling stories. And uh, but he doesn't feel weird or weak. He actually feels you know kind of powerful. So yeah, in in that cartoon, he's just yeah. great. So I caught up with him again. You know, at one point, the uh, towards the end of the two thousands. Uh, he was replaced by another son, like the sword of Aquaman or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, and then I caught up with him in Brightest Day when they brought him back. When they resurrected him from his, I guess, death. Mm-hmm. I missed the death. but uh, <laughs> I didn't know he was dead. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know. But he, they brought him back in Brightest Day where everybody was br- yeah. kind of brought back. He had like a new Aqualad, which was really interesting. Uh, it was like the, Actually, yeah, he the is. son of Black Manta or something. Yeah, yeah, and he's in the the, the Young Justice cartoon also. Oh yeah, that's it. And uh, that's a great character. That's a really great. And then character. they knew Fifty Two did it, and they kept that Aquaman. Like Jeff Johns really wanted the, like the classic Aquaman that mm-hmm. he brought back, so he kind of survives the New Fifty Two, and yet there's not that Aqualad anymore, and it's like there's still some rebootedness to yeah. it. But Aquaman at this point becomes really a, his most popular in terms of books. I think it was more popular in the 60s when he had a show. But he becomes the, the more popular he's ever been at DC. Gets a second book, Aquaman and the Others. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. 
him and the team that lasts for like a, a year but he's retained that popularity and then they sort of gave him a costume with a big phallus on it <laughs> and now i think they're bringing him back to normal with rebirth yeah. uh, i've kind of lost track i'm super we're, late. we're rebirthing right now so yes. i don't know we don't know uh you you never really mentioned flashpoint aquaman why would i <laughs> I don't know because he, he, he. I think that's his. Uh, the Flashpoint, Aquaman, and bear with me. I know how much you love. I'm bearing. Like, I know you like Flashpoint, but the Flashpoint, Aquaman, kind of goes to that ex- to that extreme gritty Aquaman. He's grittier than Pirate Aquaman. He's just basically mean Aquaman, warlike Aquaman, yeah. and it it it. He's Namor. He, he's basically feeling like uh, we're we're trying to see how far we can take this character in the in the in the grittiness and in the the anger and trying to see how we can tone it down afterwards. Yeah, but that's true of every Flashpoint character. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> Not a fan. Um, I know. Yeah, I, I didn't just talk about it. Sub Diego either. I mean, there's <laughs> he's had a long yeah. history. I haven't even talked about the Golden Age Aquaman. Well, with the yellow gloves. Uh, Oh, wow. If you're interested in any of these Aquaman things, obviously, our network has a show that is partly about that. Well, yeah. It's it, called Fire and Water. It's the water part. <laughs> it, it's the rock on, on which this network is it's built. built. It's the watery rock. Yeah. And that part of it, of course, is Rob Kelly, who runs the Aquaman Shrine. Mm-hmm. You know, he sent me a certificate a long time ago. This is how mm-hmm. we sort of met. This is how it started. <laughs> you know, you, you would send in Aquaman stuff to Rob for him to include on the shrine, which is a blog, uh, you should check it out. There's lots of stuff there, even though Rob's mostly transitioned to um, podcasting now. Yeah, yeah. That's how I met Rob through the internet, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and it may or may not be the reason we're sitting here now. Well, Aquaman may may or may not be <laughs> the reason we're well, here. Well, you know what? We both like him. Uh, it's one of the things that brought us together when uh, you uh, found out I liked comics. And, uh, you know, I did like Aquaman. You basically brought me into Pirate Aquaman. Uh, so, yeah, we both liked him. Yeah, I think we're... Aquaman is like that character that seems to need champions. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know. And we don't know why. But I, I, will, I, don't def- understand I will defend Aquaman. Till my dying breath. You know, he's one of my favorite... I think he's one of my favorite superheroes. Always has been. And uh, part of it is because so many people are down on it. Well, I think I, a lot I of like people, to fight for the underdogs. I don't. I don't like it. I don't. I don't like it when somebody tells me you don't like something because you don't understand it. But I really do feel like a lot of people don't understand Aquaman. That's why they they say he's like this weird, you know, talk is, he talks to fishes. He's much more than that. Yeah. Um, I just today watched the Aquaman episode of the Superman animated series. Okay. For review purposes on my blog, uh, and he is an absolute badass in that, even though he's wearing the the, the orange shirt. I mean, he's the classic Aquaman, yeah. and he's using the breadth of power that he has. Uh, if you're gonna, if you need an introduction to Aquaman, oh. and you don't want to look at like pirate Aquaman, you want the classic Aquaman, and you're wondering if why he's relevant, why he's a badass, why we think this. Bruce Tim and company thought the same, and I, I, that episode is called uh, Fish Story. It's in the third season of the Superman animated series. Find that episode, watch it, then tell me that Aquaman is. Uh, we dare you to tell Mike. <laughs> we're talking to people who are already convinced yeah, yeah. of Aquaman's yeah badness. we're preaching to the choir here but you know Aquaman is awesome right we're gonna leave it there obviously you can also tell us what you think of Aquaman of course uh, if you're fans or not fans uh, or of this comic because we do read some of your uh, listener yeah. feedback yeah we do it's called Letters from the Front it's coming up next Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available at Fire and Water Podcast, Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish.
Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough. I have to put up with your shenanigans every... Letters from the front. We're looking at feedback we got from uh, the episode 12, which was about Animal Man. Uh, I love that issue. I can't wait to see what people thought. And if you don't remember the episode, it's uh, Animal Man... Fighting Senegarians and there's like this art oh. bomb and art which is bomb, blow. which art martyr and it's and it's weird and it's wonderful and it's great and we loved it but not everyone did I can uh, yeah I expected that all right uh, so um, let's look at a few short Facebook comments first Martin Gray says oh those tardy Senegarians to which Shag replies especially with those outfits of course <laughs> uh, Daniel Slagle says Shag you know of anyone who's doing a podcast series on Animal Man. Ooh, we don't. We don't. But um, so maybe it's. I wish I was doing one, but you know, I got my hands full. <laughs> yeah, you, you're full. Uh, Thomas Fovey also said, uh, "Top class show as always." Well, oh, thank, thank you. you. On the blog, that's where most of the conversation yeah, happens. That's, that's the big meaty part of the conversation. Fireandwaterpodcast.com. You know, I'm not going to read every single line, but if you want to read more about comments or add them yourself. Uh, that's where you want to go. Michel Fief says, uh, This issue perfectly balances meta-commentary and the avant-garde within the framework of a one-and-done Silver Age story. It's made richer by being an enforced crossover issue, far superior to the follow-up. What also makes this way more than a Gardner Fox homage is the first-person narrative and scene-cutting both executed with enough restraint that it passes the test of time. This is Morrison's prime example of everything he was going for in his career. The scope of his vision can be found within these 24 pages. Oh, and only a Thanagarian could have known how to deactivate the weapon at the end, not just any superhero. Obviously. Yeah, Hawkman just being an ass. (laughs) You could just have turned it off. Yeah, just turn it off there. If I, you know, if I knew anything about Thanagarian technology, perhaps... Um, we have David Ace Gutierrez, who says, A very young David Ace loved this issue. I thought Morrison turned things on their heads, and perhaps he did after all. I think so. Jeff R. Oh, here's a unpopular opinion. Oh, man. Jeff R. says, If Animal Man can see me, why can't he tell me how many fingers I'm holding up? He wasn't fooled. Uh, He says, Serious talk here. Grant Morrison's Animal Man run is the single most overrated thing in the whole of comics. Really? (laughs) Dark Knight Returns. (laughs) (laughs) And when you guys go around treating a gag lifted out of duck amuck as some kind of wildly innovative postmodernist manifesto, just not helping. Sorry you feel that way, Jeff. Sorry you feel that way, Jeff, but you are wrong. And it's okay. It's okay. Find your joy. It's okay. Find your joy. (laughs) If you you have, find joy. Uh, Rob Kelly says, I remember this comic quite well. I was buying Animal Man at the time, even by Boland standards. The cover was striking. The villainous hog girl was simultaneously scary and sexy, like an Ilsa she-wolf of the SS kind of thing. (laughs) Nice reference. Yes. One of the things I liked about Morrison's run on Animal Man was the deconstruction of how his powers worked. As one of the characters eventually says, animals don't have powers. Their bodies are constructed in such a way as they can fly, breathe underwater, run at great speeds, um, etc. So how exactly is Buddy replicating that? And the series did address that. Yeah, yeah. Eventually. It is obviously absurd. Ange... Uh, from the comic box commentary says as for this issue I love this look at the Thanagarian culture here's an artist who is going to wipe out the west coast with his life bomb and he still can't get his father's approval I have to wonder if there was an autobiographical component here the moment that stuck out here was when the artist burns his own best work a cathartic act that somehow frees him just heady stuff and the ending with the bigger than life Hawkman flicking a switch was a silly way to end an emotionally heavy story as for Animal Man, I liked Pete Milligan's brief odd run. I thought Veitch's run was awful, but I enjoyed the Delano Pew run more than I thought I would. The New 52 run was just too plodding and bloody to keep me invested. And then he says, and once again, Siskoid brings up Red Tornado. I don't think I did. Without, I think I did. Without prompting. I know, I can feel it in my bones. You want the cover ready somewhere. Secret Hearts? It's called Lonely Hearts. <laughs> <sighs> and lonely, lonely Hearts and we should. <laughs> Ange, come on. It's Lonely Hearts. And no, we're not going to do the Red Tornado. We're trying. We're not. <laughs> we'll get Fern on there. All right. Uh, Michael Wagner says, same theme was used uh, in that was used in this issue was used in The Invisibles, Volume 1, Number 12, Best Man Fall, giving cannon fodder a point of view. Which also talked about that, that Aquaman issue, in fact. Yeah. The, the Genesis crossover uh, used a parademon. Here we use the Thanagarian, and yes, Morrison did the same thing in Invisibles, where we just see a minion or a, like a uh-huh. soldier for hire 
uh, that's part of a conspiracy and his life. I love those kinds of stories. There's also yeah. a Blue Beetle issue where uh, we see it through the, the eyes of a henchman. Awesome. Um, Jimmy McGlinchey says, uh, Animal Man, was slowly integrated back into the DCU in the late 90s. This is like the part that we didn't really talk about. Okay. Uh, so it's a little history lesson about um, the life and times of Animal Man. It says, first in a guest appearance in Peter David's Aquaman, uh, and then at the end of Morrison's JLA run, and then in Jeff Johns' Hawkman series. Peter David put in a pun where he mentions meeting Swamp Thing in an earlier issue and that both Animal Man and Swamp Thing spoke with such philosophical heights that it was enough to give him vertigo. <laughs> Following uh, that, he joined the outer space team in Infinite Crisis and was part of a team with Adam Strange and Starfire that tried to make their way back to Earth in 52. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they teamed up again in what... I tried not to think about it because it was like this yeah. Animal, Man, Animal Man Starfire affair. Yeah. I don't like it. No. Uh, they teamed up again in one of the Countdown miniseries, and I believe that is what led to the Jerry Conway miniseries, Last Days of Animal Man. I think Buddy is a great character and and thought he lent himself well to being in both the JLE and JL United during the New 52. His solo adventures are so off the wall that he probably believes that the League... Uh, adventures by comparison are very straightforward and he can be very effective in those scenarios i enjoyed the friendship he had with rocket red in the jle books as they bonded over their experiences of dealing with superheroes and dealing with family life as well and as far as dynamics go i like jlu and how animal man and green arrow had like this kind of bantery yeah i can uh, imagine that dynamic paul hicks somewhere in a death camp in australia uh, sends us this message. <laughs> uh, I was reading this as it came out, and it was impossible to feel jaded about Morrison's writing at the time, because it was the freshest read at DC. It's so easy to lump it all together in the Morrison's two of tropes and approaches, but this was way before the body of repeated patterns existed. Every reread gives me more to enjoy, particularly in the limbo issues towards the end of that run. Yeah, uh, A favorite then, and still a favorite today. And of course, Paul Hicks is we'll be listening to this episode for sure because he runs a podcast based on the Doom Patrol. Oh. So, obviously, we're touching on the same kind of things. I wonder if you like this episode, well, this issue. I hope you like the episode. I don't think you, he'll have liked the issue necessarily. Okay. Let us know, Paul. Uh, and Chris Franklin from Supermates says, I hate to admit I haven't read much of Morrison's Animal Man. It's something I really need to rectify. This episode pushed me closer to doing that. Well, it's easy to do that now. Uh, Shag says, uh, really digging this comic, which is Animal Man. Uh, for the most part, I just rode the roller coaster of the issue and didn't think as deeply as you guys did. Classic Shag. <laughs> so when you talked about how this issue was a microcosm for Buddy not having any control over his life, it blew my mind. You are so right. Dang, Morrison really was good at big themes and the long game. Wow. Also, that Hawkwoman's costume was crazy provocative at the time. Somehow, though, I really got the sense the sexiness of the outfit worked with her personality. I don't recall if that actually came through in the comic or me just rationalizing. And obviously, she's hot. Classic <laughs> Shag. Shag did talk about Animal Man quite a lot uh, in a recent Secret Origins. He's the one that got to cover Animal Man, bastard. Lucky. Bastard. <laughs> uh, but I also blame Ryan Daly, of course. Of course. And Diablo Frank says, uh, I've relayed my history with Animal Man in comments to both Who's Who and Secret Origins podcasts. So it's only going to be a one-pager this time. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, but he's with Jeff R. sort of thing. He's not a big Morrison fan or Animal Man fan. Okay. Because he, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, he got in rather late to some of these series and it just didn't necessarily work for him. He says, all I know is I found the story too dark and inaccessible at too high a cover price. I had very little tolerance of a 50% markup for a slightly better paper and mature themes, so I mostly stuck with The Sandman and Hellblazer in my vertical reading. This is, kind of connects with the story I was telling you, how I found Animal Man at yeah. that comic book store. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I went with a friend who bought different series entirely, and his complete runs of cheap comics were like Swamp Thing, Hellblazer, mm -hmm. Sand. So he got in on those other series, which I had to eventually collect in trade paperback and I got and I took like the more superhero -y stuff. He took the yeah. horror stuff and I took the superhero stuff and then we shared comics and read you know, I read everybody's stuff. Hi Mike. <laughs> That's a shout out. Diablo Frank also says recommendations indicate I should give it more of a chance in the future. But my points of exposure don't make it a rush or essential reading. I'm not going to say Chas Truog is a major deterrent, but I will say that if Steve Pugh or Tom Grimmett's presence was felt more in the Morrison run, I'd have greater motivation. The Chas Truog thing, nobody really talked about it in our comments. Yeah. But what I remember with listening to the Secret Origins one, and like Shag wasn't a fan. They weren't fans of the Chas Truog 
art. Okay. And that seemed like to be sort of generalized. I liked it. Well, I like I like Trash Turog. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I I you know what? I think good storytelling trumps art and good storytelling kind of enhances art and uh when when art is somewhat maybe subpar or some or there's something that's kind of off if there's good storytelling you kind of you know shrug it off you know oh yeah okay the art's this way but you kind of get into it anyways uh but art i mean i know it's comic book and i yeah and i do understand the whole dynamic but you know if i'm going to choose i'm not going to choose you know the art is kind of it's okay in the animal man those issues but the storytelling is so good that well the art isn't the star but i don't think it needs to be i don't think and so and i either. think the cartooniness that some people react badly to well see, in his I like, art i like that i like that as well and i think yeah. it worked in the animal man kind yeah. of uh, silver age pastiche exactly silliness of it exactly exactly and, and, and if you're going to do a, a wily e. coyote story that's yeah. the kind of artist you need in exactly. it, just to sell it or yep. else it's going to look weird. Anyway. Exactly. So I'm defending Chesterog on the Animal Man books. I'm on record. Uh, <laughs> finally, Diablo Frank says, I was thinking the same thing as Jeff R. about deconstructionism by way of a uh, decades-old Chuck Jones gag. I also see Cisco's point about playing the meta for Pathos, but it's practically a comic book default setting to take something intended to be played for laughs and approach it with all the deadly seriousness of a frustrated adolescent could muster. So I get it. If you're a comic book reader from the 90s, they were doing a lot of that. Everything had to be yeah. uh, like deadly serious and angsty. Yeah. And I don't think this is that. I don't think... I don't think it's that either. I don't think in the late 80s you were going to do that silly thing and then put a... Let's not making it serious so much as... I don't know. It's like using it in a more literary manner. Yeah. Which is not the same as let's do this thing really seriously. You know, I think the yeah. seriousness of the 90s wasn't a real seriousness. It was a teenage seriousness. It was how teens were serious. Yeah. It's pouches. Lots of pouches. Animal Man or Doom Patrol or like the, whatever the Morrison stuff, the Vertigo stuff at large, and not just Morrison doing this, I think sometimes used comic book tropes and comic book ideas from an earlier time when they were readers. I don't think they made it serious. I think they made it serious on a literary level. They yeah. made it more intellectual, which I happen to be, yeah. you know, something I connect to. It's not the same kind of series. So, so I understand your point. Yeah, and, and I don't think either of us, either me or Siskoid, we, we're not really into these gritty, pouchy, hair everywhere, superhero, serious, superhero. We don't, we're not into I don't coats. even think that the, uh, we were talking about Pirate Aquaman earlier. I don't even think that's that. No, it's not, actually. It's very superhero-y. It may look like that. Yeah. But, yeah, it's superhero-y, banjury. Yeah, and we're far, we're very, very far from the trench coats. I like to call them trench coats. Everybody had a trench coat. Nobody wanted to wear spandex. Everybody wanted a trench coat. So I, I get it. I get it. And that's, well, I think you're hitting it on the head. I don't think serious is the good word here to define. I don't have a word because I'm French, but uh, I don't think serious is the good word to define it right now. It's something else. It's it's maybe a liter literary serious. I don't know how to, but it's not like a dire serious. I don't know. I don't have the words. I, I don't have this vocabulary, but I know, I think, I don't think serious is the right word. That's think, all I have. Yeah, it's not, it's not serious. I, think, I don't think it took itself seriously. In that way, it just put a more sophisticated spin yeah. on an old idea, used it in a modern story where it's shocking that somebody would use that. Yeah, It's not about... Here, here's what it is. In a 90s serious, angsty comic, everything would have to be deadly serious. You cannot be joking about it. And you're really trying to do away with it. Why are we wearing trash coats? Because spandex is silly. Yeah. So we're always trying to find the, the serious way to do superhero narratives. And we reject anything that's silly about it. That's why Aquaman can't be... Doesn't like, float. Pa <laughs> patrol the, the seas, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, a character like that who talks to fish, let's, let's not make him talk to fish. It's impossible to make it not silly. Right. We have, it has to be not silly. Now, the other way to do it, and I think the animal main way to do it, is to celebrate it. We're going to use it, and we're going to use it brazenly. And we're going to be bold about it. Yeah. And we're not going to hide the Silver Age-ness of it. It's just told today with characters with perhaps more of a psychological uh, basis than past comics could do. Yeah. And it's going to be 
it goes from silly to weird. It go yeah, yeah, really. But it's still silly when you when you discuss the idea, it's still a silly idea, a strange idea that's very much in the Silver Age vein. And yet because it's today and written with today's styles, it doesn't feel that same silliness. Yeah. But we're celebrating that idea. We're saying, you know those ideas from the Silver Age that the 90s are trying to just ignore and kind of act like it never happened? We're going to use them and put them front and center and it's going to be strange and wonderful. Just like when I was a kid reading those comics, I felt things were strange and wonderful. I think that's the yeah. motivation behind Morrison's early work. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the uh, same it's basically same premise, same idea but different way of telling it or a different way of showing it. And it still amazes us. And you can continue this debate on the, on the websites yeah. or on Facebook or wherever. Or if you're you know, very, very good with oh. summarizing your argument, you can use Twitter. <laughs> Don't forget to put the hashtag FWPodcasts. Yeah. If you want to continue this discussion, obviously, next show, we'll be reading your comments. Uh, and we'll also be reading your Facebook likes and shares because these are shows of support. Yeah. And we support you back. Shag Matthews, who calls Animal Man one of his favorite characters. Good. Uh, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics Blog, Ryan Daly, Michelle Fief, Sam Lowe, Rob Kelly, Chris Franklin, Daniel Budnick, Al Sedano, Grant Richter, Silver and Gold Podcast, Mike Sote, Federico Hernandez, Abel Padilla, Jay Jones, D. Bash, Gene Hendricks, Sean Emmons, David Fiore, Billy Lacasse, Thomas Fovey, Robert Ward, Martin Gray, and Daniel Slagle, with Twitter retweets and favorites from Coffee and Comics Blog, Keith G. Baker, Jeffrey Brown, Adventure Frequency, Michelle Fief, Treasury Comics, Longbox Crusade, Jim Ball, Doug Zawiza, who says, Animal Man and Hawk People too, and then he sends it over to a Hawkman Hawk Girl account. Uh, David Fiore, Comic Book Insurance, Tutor Freaks, The Hammer Strikes, Silver and Gold, who says, you aren't, if you aren't listening to this podcast, then we can't be friends. <laughs> wow, well, thank you. Jesus. Uh, Derek Moreland, Rolled Spine Podcast, and Trekker Talk with a Google Plus from The Hammer Strikes. Thank you, Gene. There you go. Google's on the map. Next time on First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. Power of the Atom. Number seven.